Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome to Tigers in 20, a Go Tigers 247 audio podcast. Your one-stop shop for all things University of Memphis Tigers athletics. Here are your hosts, founder of Go Tigers 247, Brooks Hansen, and lead writer for Go Tigers 247, Christian Fowler. What's up, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode. I am your host, Christian Fowler, and joining me, as always, is Go Tigers 247 founder, Brooks Hansen, and we are on the heels of another Memphis win, the sixth consecutive. They defeated uh, South Florida on Tuesday night. They have now won nine of their last ten games, and as I mentioned, on a six-game winning streak. Um, and it's it is impressive, what in my opinion, what they've been able to do after the COVID pause. I know it was a little bit rough against Tulane. Uh, came out and they looked really good offensively Sunday against Cincinnati, and then they have arguably their best defensive performance of the year against South Florida on Tuesday night. And Brooks, we can talk about this South Florida game a little bit, but I really want to talk about the momentum that this team has built because it's been extremely impressive, not only to win these, you know, to win nine of 10 games, but to keep that up after being away from the facility and only getting a few days of practice before that two lane game. So how big is this momentum for Memphis right now? Oh, it's massive. Just to be able to come back from the pause, get wins, regardless of how you get them and try to continue building toward what ultimately is going to define your season. And that's the finale against Houston and the American Athletic Conference Tournament uh, down in Texas next week. So uh, going into those that, I guess, four-game stretch, that's when you need to be your best. And right now, Memphis appears to be headed back towards its best basketball of the season. And that's all you can ask for after being off for two weeks, right? You know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I completely agree. That's And we kind of questioned this and talked about this uh, once they came back is, will they be able to return to that team that we saw before the break? Will they be able to, you know, to keep it up defensively? I know a lot of people talked about the conditioning, and that's a little overdone at this point. Um, but they did, and now they're number one in Ken Palm's rankings for uh, adjusted def- defensive efficiency. Words are hard, Brooks. Um, <laughs> Tongue twister. Say that five times fast. Yeah, exactly. So they're number one now uh, in that category. Offense has been a little bit up and down. It hasn't been incredible. But when your defense is holding people to 50 or less points a game, which they've done twice since coming back from the COVID pause, then you don't need a ton of offense. Now, we can make an argument that you will need that offense on Sunday against Houston in the conference tournament, but I think you're building towards that. Because, I mean, we saw against Cincinnati an 80-point outburst. The offense, to me, I know a lot of people were still complaining, but to me it looked a lot more in sync. Um, And last night was kind of what we've seen all season, where it's up and down, where they have stretches where they look really good, where guys are hitting shots, and then they kind of go stagnant. So we know that this team can get back to where they were offensively before the break. They just have to do it at the right time, if you ask me. Yeah, I mean, just just look at Illinois versus Michigan uh, on 
well, what night was that? Tuesday night. Tuesday. Um, good offense can beat good defense, and that's what Illinois did. They just they just demolished a really good defensive Michigan team because they locked down and they played really good offense. Like their offense was it was clicking, and so the concern for Memphis is, yeah, your defense can be really good like this Michigan team. But when when you run up against a team that is is playing good defensively as well, and you can't score points, how do you win that game? The last thing Memphis wants to find itself in is in in a one or two possession game against a an offensive juggernaut in Houston. Houston's offense is really good, and you know with Memphis being in, in the high one hundreds, the one sixties, and Houston being a you know, an extremely efficient offensive team with multiple weapons that can just get buckets. That's not the kind of game that Memphis wants to be in. So for Memphis, you know, both against Houston on Sunday and in the American Conference Tournament, they've got to play the same defense that they've been playing all year, and then they've got to be extremely efficient on the offensive end. They've got to take care of the ball. They've got to to get on the boards. Uh, it, it appears that Memphis's Bigs and their guards, like Lester Quinones, is rebounding the the mess out of the ball right now. It appears that they're like they've got that mentality going into Houston on Sunday. Houston's a really good rebounding team, so it's going to be an interesting matchup because Houston is defensively solid. They're good on the boards. They're good offensively, and so can Memphis bring their offense up to par? with the rest of what they do on the court. Uh, that's the big storyline for me headed into Sunday. So, I mean, what do we really take from last night headed into Sunday? Really nothing other than, I guess, Memphis defensively was still really, really good. Um, you know, South Florida had droughts, uh, multiple droughts throughout the game where they could not even get a bucket on Memphis. Uh, I think the other thing is Boogie Ellis continues to play very, very well. Um, he looked like he was locked in, ready to go from the jump. And when he's that good, Memphis is really good. So th- those are two key takeaways for me. Just defensively, they are who they are. It's not a one-trick pony. I think they figured this thing out, and they have a defensive identity now. So um, that's big for Memphis headed into Sunday. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me was also Boogie Ellis and his continued confidence and continued solid play, 52% from three over the last three games. But I'll go more on the what concerns me side, taken away from the South Florida game. First off is the front court was a little more inconsistent. The rebounding was really good, uh, but Malcolm Dandridge didn't have the same type of game he did against Cincinnati. Uh, Musa Cisse looked kind of frustrated for the majority of the night. He had a lot of trouble handling the ball, uh, had some turnovers, had some balls go off his hand that went out of bounds, and really couldn't get much going. Went to the free throw line a couple times, which I'm surprised more teams don't intentionally foul him down low with how much he struggled at the free throw line. And secondly, and this is something that we talked about last week, is uh, I don't remember, we actually might have talked about this off the record, uh, but that's Landers Nolly. And I know Memphis is winning games, and I know that they're having guys step up offensively like Boogie Ellis and DeAndre Williams, but Landers Nolly, like it or not, is your best three-level scorer 
Because Boogie's your best three-point shooter, but he can't get down, down low as well as Landers can. And over these last few games, Landers has disappeared for stretches. Uh, I, the only the only good stretch I can really think of over the past several games uh, is the the end of the second half against Cincinnati. I think around the six minute mark, uh, he went. I think he scored seven consecutive points or seven seven out of twelve or thirteen points or something like that. Uh, but other than that, he's been extremely quiet. Uh, hasn't really touched the ball a ton. There hasn't been many looks for him. Uh, I don't know if it's him being gun shy or if it's him trying to be unselfish or what exactly it is. But if you're going to go into Houston and beat that team, or if you're going to make a run in the conference tournament, or if you somehow make the NCAA tournament and want to make a run there, a guy like Landers Nolly needs to be putting up 16 to 20 points a night. He cannot disappear for stretches. He's too important to this offense. And we look back, and we were talking about this earlier in the episode, how Memphis's offense, can they return to the way they're playing before the COVID pause? I personally think the only way they can do that is if Landers Nolly scores. Because when they were solid offensively, when they were doing better offensively, he was averaging 16.5 points per game. And over the past several games, he hasn't done that. And we've seen Memphis's offense kind of do that roller coaster thing that we've watched all year because of it. So if they want to make some kind of run, if they want to make some kind of noise, if they want their offense to be somewhat on par uh, with Houston or other top-level teams, then he has to be the scorer that he has the potential to be. Well, I, th- I feel like we've been doing this a lot more lately, but Christian, I'm going to uh, I'm gonna disagree with you Go here. for it. Uh, I feel like we went like 100 episodes without ever disagreeing, and now we're just like uh, kind of at odds on some of these it makes things. It, it makes it more fun. Well, I mean, let's just look at it this way. This Memphis offense has changed multiple times, and now they're running this – Cutters Princeton style offense where they're I mean at times last night against uh, USF Memphis was moving the ball so quickly that the defense had no shot to rotate with those passes Uh, Memphis is distributing the ball at a high level right now they're passing the ball really really well they're moving it Uh, lots of movement lots of passes lots of cuts And I I personally think that Landers taking a step back in production is more of a reflection on this offense becoming more diverse. You start seeing guys like, you know, DeAndre Williams averaging right around his season average or a little bit above. Like he's at, I think, 10.5 points a game for the year. And last night he had 13. Then you've got Boogie Ellis hitting on all cylinders, averaging, you know, hitting well above his season average. Last night, Lester Quinones, you know, 12 points. And then guess what? We saw there were times where he made some really boneheaded plays, but we saw an reemergence of DJ Jeffries. DJ Jeffries has been non-existent. And, and all of a sudden you have him stepping back in, getting almost 30 minutes last night, scoring nine points, four assists, four rebounds, um, you know, and he was pretty good. He was solid, minus his turnovers and a couple boneheaded plays. He was solid. So you start to see more contribution from even guys like, you know, Musa Cisse had, I think he finished the game with, what, three, four turnovers last night? And all three or four of them were on passes that if he had just caught them, they were dunks. 
you know, so instead of six points, we're suddenly looking at a game where you've got Musa Cisse at 10, 12, 14 points. So you've got four double-digit scores. You've got three other guys on the cusp of double digits. That's a well-balanced, evenly distributed offensive team that's sharing the ball, that doesn't have a selfish player, uh, jacking shots, trying to keep you in games because your offense is stagnant. Um, and that's where Landers Nolly, to me, earlier in the year, thrived for Memphis. Like he, That was kind of his niche because – he was used to it coming from Virginia Tech. Uh, it was a bad offensive team that had very few weapons, and he was kind of the the go to guy. So, uh, you know, we we might both be right. It might be somewhere in the middle, but I I do agree. Landers does feel like he has hit a little bit of a slump because shots that normally were going in earlier in the year, they feel like. They're maybe a little bit forced or just not fully in rhythm. I don't know if he's just second-guessing himself because he is trying to move the ball more and doesn't want to come across as selfish. But I think you are right in that Memphis needs Landers to be the good offensive Landers if they're going to win at a high level. Yeah, and I don't I don't disagree with your points. I think I think that's something that has clearly been prioritized, moving the ball. This isn't a one-guy team. We don't need one guy scoring 25. But on the flip side of that, there are games and there are scenarios where you need a bucket getter. We talked about this starting in the preseason, where this team hasn't had a bucket getter over the past three years, uh, two years. Jeremiah Martin definitely was. But over the past two years, they haven't. And so we were expecting Landers to be that guy. And sometimes you have to and sometimes you don't. It depends what everyone else is doing. But let's let's compare it to Houston. Like you said, a very well-balanced, a very good offensive team. But if they are struggling, they have a guy that can get buckets in Quentin Grimes. Any given night, he can go off for 25 or 30 points because he is that good offensively. And that's what makes it work in those games when everyone else is off. That's why they don't really have bad offensive performances. Um, and, and that's what I see You know, when you play good defensive teams. Houston, one of the best defensive teams in the country. If they're locking certain people down, if they've got Boogie locked out at the three-point line, uh, if they're not letting Lester and DeAndre get down low and be aggressive, then you have to have somebody catch fire and do that. And that guy, as you mentioned, in those spots this season has been Landers. And I don't know right now if he if he can do that or not because, like you said, it looks like he might be in a little bit of a slump. We don't know what it is. Maybe it's a confidence thing. Maybe it's uh, switching the offenses. Who knows exactly what it is. But I have a feeling at some point, over the next couple weeks, whether it's in the conference tournament or on Sunday, Memphis is going to need someone to step up and get buckets. And, and I mean, from from a momentum perspective, if we're talking about momentum for this team, and if we, we scale that down to an individual player level, I, I don't see any reason why that can't be Boogie, Boogie Ellis, Ellis at this point. I agree. Boogie Ellis is playing his best basketball that he's played in a Memphis uniform. There were times last night where he looked like if if it were a late-game situation and he wanted to get a shot off, he was going to get a shot off. Uh, that step back that he had was pretty. Lester Quinones had a ridiculous post move uh, on an up-and-under reverse layup uh, that was really nice. So I feel like some of these guys are starting to find their niche with these these cutting lanes and these passing lanes to be able to create plays for each other. Um, so overall, I think 
I think Memphis is headed in a great direction. The big thing is they can't take a step back on Sunday against Houston. Um, so let's take a quick break and then come back. We're going to talk a little bit about some some statistics, some numerics, where Memphis ranks among the country's best, both offensively, defensively, and what that means for their chances of making the postseason. Uh, stick with us. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, Christian, so we talked about kind of momentum for Memphis, where they're headed, uh, but there are a few things going on right now uh, that kind of give you an idea of Memphis's fate for the rest of the season. One of those things is uh, subjectivity, and I'll explain that in a second. The other one is cold hard facts. Uh, so what I mean by that is subjectivity is that in the media, both in the national conversation and in the local conversation, you can... You can hear it. You can feel it. Memphis is not getting love. Uh, you know, you can see it in Joe Lenardi's Bracketology. You can hear it in Brooke Weisbrod's, uh, uh, I think that's how you say her name, her commentary last night uh, as the color analyst for the game. You know, towards the end of the game, uh, the play-by-play guy asked Brooke, what grade would you give Memphis in this performance tonight? And Brooke's response was, uh, I'm not really. St- I'm still not sold. Memphis has to do more. I would give them a B minus. And she went on a, a rant about why Memphis didn't do enough for her. Um, so you see it across the board, and I'm going to get into specifics about why Brooks' comments, uh, why other things that I'm seeing are completely BS, and that's related to cold hard facts. And by cold hard facts, I mean data, metrics, analytics, things that. Now that Memphis is 20-plus games into the season, they are irrefutable. They are what they are. There's enough of a sample size with Memphis's performance on the season 
to know that this is what this team is. So uh, whenever it comes to Brooks' comments, you know, to me, my question is, when is it enough? When when can what can what else can Memphis do for you to show you that they deserve some level of respect? And and I say that because Memphis's Tuesday night game against USF was moved up 24 hours. They had 48 hours to take a a flight from Cincinnati to Tampa, turn around on one day's rest, and play a South Florida team without their starting point guard, Alex Lomax. And they went in and beat a USF team. Yes, they did not have uh, Alexis Yetna. They didn't have him before, and they lost to Memphis by one point. Um, They... They did not have uh, Michael uh, Durr. Michael Durr. And Michael Durr was, I mean, we talked about this, you know, between you and I and Kenny. He's not the difference maker for the South Florida team. Him playing against Memphis last night wasn't somehow going to make South Florida win. It's not like Houston losing Quentin Grimes. Um, so, you know, Memphis went in against a team that, you know, played extremely well uh, against them earlier in the year, and they beat them by 20 more points than they beat them in their previous game in December. Uh, you know, Caleb Murphy, who went off for 20 in Memphis's first contest, Memphis held them to two points. Uh, you know, Collins, who you know I, I cannot stand, but USF's leading scorer, they held him to seven points, five below his season. Wasn't it seven? Is that right? Let me double check. Six. Six points. So they held him to half of his season average. And yet it wasn't good enough. A B- minus is what Brooks said. So in spite of all of the obstacles, in spite of everything, Memphis coming off this is their second game back from a COVID pause. Memphis goes in, pretty much d- demolishes South Florida and plays with them like it's a cat playing with its food in the second half, and it's not good enough for her. And I think that attitude towards the Tigers is reflected in the rest of the national conversation. And that right there is exactly why you and I have both said for the longest time Memphis has to win the AAC tournament if they want a for sure berth in the NCAA tournament. Just plain and simple because there's no respect for this Memphis team. None. Yeah, I agree. And I, I – you know, I was thinking about this last night after the game because we were talking about it through text. And I was thinking, like, even if Memphis wins Sunday against Houston and Wichita State somehow drops one of these two games that they will be projected to win both of and they win the regular season title, it's still not 100% that they're going to make the NCAA tournament. And that's. No, they could win on Sunday and win their first two games in the conference tournament and still not get yeah, in. completely agree. And, I, I, I mean, it's weird because right now everyone's looking at it saying, okay, Wichita State and Houston are in, so if Memphis somehow gets that number one seed, they'll be in. And I'm just not I'm not sold on that at all. I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. I think if that was to happen, if Memphis does get the number one seed, then the American goes back to the one-bid conference that everyone was talking about, and Houston is the team that gets in. That's my personal opinion. I don't, 
you know, I don't I don't watch all 364 teams in college basketball. I don't do bracketology like Joe Lenardi and some of these other guys. So I don't I'm not claiming that I have more knowledge of college basketball than these people. You could probably flip a coin and be about as good as right. he is. <laughs> At sometimes. Um but like you said, just the national perspective of this Memphis team, uh I feel like since they don't have the blue blood name, because you saw last night they showed the bracketology at least a hundred times, and they had Michigan State and Duke and some of these other blue blood teams ahead of them, because at the end of the day, if it's close, if it's even relatively close, we know who's going in over Memphis, because the NCAA is a business. This is all about business. Uh, I know that there are obviously some rankings involved and and looking at different games and everything but at the end of the day if it's if it's duke and memphis and it's a coin toss duke is gonna get in over memphis and that's just the harsh reality of it because of what that program has meant to college basketball and it it's a little shady and it's it, it sounds terrible but it's it's true i mean and that's why memphis is getting no national love i was looking at stuff the other day espn bleacher report talking about bubble teams and who could potentially make it and you see all these blue blood teams on there who have basically done nothing this year, who have really been far below what they typically are and still being talked about as bubble teams. So Memphis is not going to get that national perspective sway. They're not going to get that do they move the needle sway. It just It's not going to happen. So like we've said, like we've maintained throughout this time, Memphis is going to have to go get it done in the conference tournament and get an auto bid. I think, I still think, I still believe, regardless of what happens the rest of the way, I still think they're going to have to get that auto bid to to make the NCAA tournament for the first time since 2014, I believe. Yeah, and us maintaining that stance for the last month and a half has nothing to do with what we feel like Memphis deserves because obviously Memphis is playing extremely good basketball right now. You can't watch them and know the game of basketball and and not make that statement. It's very obvious. Earlier in the year, you could not make that same statement. Their offense has taken tremendous strides. Their defense is elite. I mean, I, I'm talking about my wife played college basketball, and she watched the game with us last night, and she was like, man, they play so hard. Um, it you know on the defensive end, she was like they just they're nonstop and it's super impressive. And she's not uh, in any sort of like a fandom mode for Memphis at all. She's an Alabama fan, so I, I think the big thing for me with watching bracketology and watching these folks him and Hall and, and make their projections is that there's no consistency with the statements that are made. You know, you, you see weeks ago statements that are made and there's no real follow through in their projections and the way that they want to try to influence this process. For example, last week, Joe Lenardi said that if Xavier dropped a game, they would fall out of the at-large bids. Well, they lost a quad four game. And they're still the last team in in his bracketology as of last night. They just lost a quad four game. I, I mean, insane. Uh, Duke lost again last night to a good Georgia Tech team. 
and they're still right there on the cusp of an at-large berth. SMU hasn't played in a month and may not play. I, I mean, will we see them in the conference tournament? Will we even see them? Uh, we don't know. And yet he's still trying to find a way to slot them in over a Memphis team that split their matchup with SMU this year. And the the game that SMU won was essentially on a last-second bucket. Um, at what point – and Syracuse also just lost. And he's got them right there with Memphis. Indiana uh, continues losing, continues their downward slide. They've got a f- – they're, they're negative four in the Big Ten. I think they're like, what, 7-11? And somehow, he's got them right on the edge of a berth. In what world does a team with a losing conference record with no big wins other than Iowa, which is just related to the way that Indiana matches up the same way Memphis and Tulsa, so if you scratch that, they have absolutely zero big wins. None. And they're seven eleven in the conference. It's it's absurd. So, uh, and the the reason I bring that up is it feels like, and it maybe it's just me, feels like people are just ignoring the data. Right? I mean, Memphis is what fifteen and six now. They're number one, like you said earlier in the podcast, number one in Ken Palm's defense defensive efficiency ratings. It's, it's t- you it's are tough. right. It is. It's tough. Uh, and, you know, there are so many other things that go along with that metric. And it's just like people are like, you know, willful ignorance. I don't know if they're like, they see it and they just put on a blindfold, but it, it seems really bad to me. Yeah, I don't, and, and I've thought this for some time, especially when it comes to um, non-Power 5 schools and smaller schools. I don't think enough stock is put into the way that some teams finish off the season. When you look at the way that Memphis has went over the past month and a half, two months, nine of ten games, lone loss, as you mentioned, coming to SMU in a, in a back-to-back setting or two games in 48-hour setting. And it was a close game. I believe it was a two-point game, and that was in Dallas. Um, with wins over Wichita State to start that winning streak. And they still don't get any love. They've won six straight games. They did three of those games after coming off of an 18-day layoff with no games. And no stock has been put into what Memphis has done to close out this season. And I think you mentioned it perfectly. You said at the beginning of the season there shouldn't have been any love for Memphis. No one should have been paying attention to Memphis from a national perspective. But at this point in the season, this is when games matter. Conference schedules when games matter. I know everyone's going to keep saying if Memphis would have taken care of business against Western Kentucky or VCU or Auburn, that's whatever at this point. That's long, long in the past. More stock should be put into this conference schedule to play teams that you play every year, to have to play them twice, um, and to be 11-3 and in a conference that I think is better than most people think it is I think the reason some records are so bad is because these teams tend to beat up on each other and I know that's kind of a cliche statement about conference games but when you look at the at the way that this conference goes the back and forth kind of games that this conference has every year 
then it then it makes sense. I think I do think the American is better than a lot of people put stock into. Um, so yeah, I, I I completely agree. If people were really paying attention and really looking at the metrics and really looking at what Memphis has done over the past month and a half or so, then they should be in a better spot than they're given credit for. Yeah. So with with DeAndre Williams, Memphis is eleven and three. Without him, against teams like Western Kentucky, Auburn. Uh, VCU, they're four and three, four and three. Earlier in the year, before they changed offenses, before they had any sort of identity, before they got their second leading scorer eligible. I, I mean, how do we make this any more clear? They are playing extremely good basketball. Now, here's here's the thing, and this is why we keep saying, just keep winning. They've got the the road in front of them to prove it, to say we are a good basketball team. Uh, in that same time, Houston has the same record. If you look at their eleven game stretch, uh, their uh, fourteen game stretch, same record, similar losses. Except for Memphis hasn't lost to ECU, did they? That I'm aware of. No. No. Nope. <laughs> oh, okay. We're not. We're, are we going to put on blinders like everybody else? Because I'm pretty sure. That uh, Houston lost to ECU. They oh, is also, it e- ECU, Tulsa, and Wichita State, correct? Correct. Yeah. A, a Wichita State team that Memphis blew the brakes off of and, you know, had that game taken away a second time around. So, I mean, let's just let's just look at the facts, people. So Memphis now has a chance to go into Houston and prove it on Sunday. All of the metrics aside – this is this is crunch time for this team. It sucks that it came down to to being able to prove yourself in uh, a conference tournament, but it is what it is. So I want to give credit where credit is due. I'm going to read some tweets uh, because I thought they were brilliant. Uh, the stats that are in this, by the way, I don't know what's going on outside my window. There's a uh, I think a fire fire siren or whatever it's fire truck siren going on outside. Um, so at Saluki Blue on tw- Twitter, it's S A L U K I B L U E. Last night he kind of went on a little tangent and started tweeting some stats about this Memphis team, and I think they're really good. Uh, so if you head over to Twitter, go give the man a follow. Uh, so he said after Memphis basketball wins at UCF, uh, USF, the Tigers move into the number one. Uh, spot for Ken Pomeroy's defensive rating. In the last 10 years, the number one defensive rated team has made the tournament every year and six times as a three-seed or better. So 60% of that time, the number one defensive rated team has been a three-seed or higher. And we're arguing about whether or not Memphis can get in as an at-large. He went on to tweet, To add to that, of the top five defensive efficiency teams in each of the past 10 years, nine of them without COVID, 43 of 45, 95.5% made the NCAA tournament. Only San Diego State, uh, which went to the NIT and UL on probation, did not make it. 36 of the 45. So 80% of these, uh, what was it, 45 teams were a four-seater better. I mean, again, I thought we looked at metrics for this thing. I 
thought that we we had you know all of these rankings and uh, numerics to be able to prioritize which teams fell into the category of an at-large berth. So this morning, he, he continued, for Memphis basketball, it's extremely simple. If you score more than 65 points, they win. Memphis is 13-2 and when they score 65 or more. 13-0 and when they score more than 71. 72, I think, right around there, 73 is their season average. Um, Houston's at like 77, 78. Uh, the other stat to follow will be points per possession. The only three games uh, that Houston has lost were when they allowed were when they allowed the opponent to average at least one point per possession. So Memphis, aka Memphis, has to be extremely efficient offensively to beat this Houston team. When Memphis uh, averages one or more points per possession, they're 12 and 0. So they they hit that mark. On Sunday, they played the defense that has them as the number one defensive efficiency-rated team in the country. They win at Houston. They go into the conference tournament with more momentum than any team in this conference, and they have their shot to make a case for an NCAA berth. If not, stamp it that Sunday in the conference tournament final. Saturday. Sunday. Sunday. Sunday? Sunday. 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 <laughs> Say it again, Sunday. All right, Christian, you got anything else? I, f- I feel like that was a really good stopping point. Yeah, no, I think th- I think that's perfect. I'm I'm excited. Hey, we'll, I, I will say I'm excited for Sunday, though. I think we're going to see a very motivated Memphis team. I'm excited to record post Sunday. I think uh, I think it's going to be a fun episode. I'm I'm not saying that you know it's a guaranteed win for Memphis because Houston is a really good basketball team, but I do think it's going to be a hell of a game. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to break down and to talk about what Memphis has in front of it uh, next week. So, Christian, you got anything else? I'm good. All right, that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to Tigers in 20. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love for you to leave a comment and a rating wherever you download your podcasts. If you are interested in daily content all about the University of Memphis athletic program, please hop over to www.gotigers247.com. Articles are uploaded daily, and you can join the Go Tigers 247 family by signing up for the VIP membership for even more behind-the-scenes information. baseball season is in full swing which means you need to listen to fantasy baseball today part of the cbs sports podcast network join scott white chris towers and me frank stample every weekday as we recap every player from every game we'll talk waiver wire ads drops players to trade for prospects who could make an impact and everything in between make sure to download and follow on apple Podcasts, spotify the odyssey app and everywhere else podcasts are found